Thank you. We're blessed today that we get to observe both of the ordinances of the church, not only baptism, but also the Lord's Supper. Priscilla Larson of Lexington, Massachusetts has a brother-in-law who's a minister. And one day he responded to a Red Cross appeal for blood donations. And when he didn't come home, by the time his young son expected him to be home, the boy asked his mother, is dad going around visiting all the sick people? His mother said, no, honey, he's giving blood. And the little boy thought about that for a moment and he said, but we know it's really grape juice, right, Mom? <laughs> In Baptist churches, at least, when we take communion, usually it is grape juice, unless the deacon who is assigned to procure and bring the grape juice to the church accidentally buys cranberry juice, which happened once in my former church. And uh, <laughs> it happened before I got there. I was there 18 years. They never let him live it down. <laughs> well, anyway, today we're observing an ordinance of the church we call the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this memorial of His sacrifice on our behalf on the occasion of His last supper, on the night that He was arrested and just before He was crucified. And this morning I want us to take a short look at Matthew's account of that event and talk about uh, what this ordinance means and why we observe it. So Matthew chapter 26, we'll be reading verses 26 through 30. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. The Bible tells us that while Jesus and the disciples were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is My body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in My Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> On the last night of Jesus' life, He and His disciples ate a Passover meal as a part of the Jewish uh, observance of Passover. The Passover meal was highly symbolic. It was an important observance for the Israelites meant to remind them of the significant events in their history, like the blood of the Passover lamb that protected the firstborn from the death angel in Egypt. The Exodus itself was to be remembered during the Passover when God led them out of their Egyptian enslavement. And during the Passover meal, the leader of the observance would interpret the various elements of the supper as reminders to the Israelites of what they signified, what they meant. And Jesus does the same thing in this Passover meal. Jesus reinterpreted two of the elements of the supper as symbols of the new covenant that He was about to 
bring into being by His sacrifice on the cross. In the Passover observance, the Israelites would eat unleavened bread. And what that means is bread that had not risen. And it was to symbolize the haste with which they had to hightail it out of Egypt during the Passover. They had to go so quickly they didn't have time to wait for their bread to rise. In this observance, Jesus says of the bread, This is my body. Luke's Gospel gives us a little more of what Jesus said in his record. Luke says, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus has in mind that his followers on a regular and ongoing basis partake of the bread together as a memorial symbolizing the surrender of his body to death for us. Now, I said we view these elements as symbolic. Not all believers do. You probably know that the Catholic Church developed a sacramental view of the elements, meaning they believe that the bread and the wine actually mediate the grace of God to whomever partakes of those elements. So theoretically, partaking of the elements could bestow grace apart from a state of faith in one's heart. And they believe baptism is a sacrament as well, and that it can bestow the grace of God, mediate the grace of God, whether the, the candidate is a believer or not. And that's part of the reason that Catholics baptize infants. They believe they can be brought under a state of grace simply by going through the act. And we Baptists, of course, uh, have a doctrine that we call believer's baptism. We only baptize those who are able to express faith in Jesus Christ. But the Catholics have this sacramental view of the elements. One of the part of the reason they do that is because they believe that the elements actually become the body and the blood of Jesus in the liturgy, in the observance. That there is a a transformation that takes place. It's a doctrine called transubstantiation, that the substance transforms into the actual body and blood of Jesus. In fact, the Latin mass observance came to uh, be used in some unusual ways. If you've ever watched a magician change something into something else, put uh, who knows what into a hat, wave the magic wand above it and say hocus pocus and then pull out a rabbit, that's a connection to the Latin Mass because the Latin Mass, when the, the pronouncement was made, this is my body, the Latin is hoc es corpus meum. Hoc es corpus meum, it sounds to the uninitiated, the uneducated ear, like hocus pocus. It's thought of it as magic. This magical transformation takes place. So while some believe Jesus is physically present in the Lord's Supper, we understand His presence to be symbolic for uh, important reasons, some of which I'll share in a moment. But that presence is a symbol of Jesus Himself. Listen to the words of Princeton Seminary Professor Gordon McCoskey. He says, In the distracted digital age in which we live, it may be the case that classical debates about the presence of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper have been inverted. 
The question with which we may have to wrestle is not in what way is the Lord present in the supper. Instead, the question is, in what way are we present when we observe the supper, that is. Now, symbols are sufficient if we understand what they signify and if we are fully present in the observance. But if you're distracted right now, if you're thinking about what happened yesterday or last week or what you're going to do later today or this week or how you're going to celebrate the Thanksgiving holidays or any one of a hundred other things, you're not really being present for what it is we're doing right now. So you need to ask yourself, am I present or am I distracted as I come to the table of the Lord? Well, if the Passover meal is the precedent and the model for what Jesus instituted in the Lord's Supper, then we ought to note that the elements of the Passover meal were symbols themselves. They were looked upon as symbolic. So there isn't any reason to believe that Jesus intended for His reinterpretation of those elements to be anything other than symbols as well. Because when it comes right down to it, to partake of Christ's body and blood means to believe by faith that His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. Elsewhere Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Some misunderstood Him to think of, of that He was speaking in some literal sense. But again, he's speaking symbolically. I am the bread of life. He is bread for the spirit as essential for spiritual life as physical bread is for physical life. And we are reminded of that every time we partake of these symbols of his body and his blood. Now don't think that there isn't power in symbols Symbols have tremendous ability to stir in us certain thoughts and emotions, both for good and for evil. For example, when you see a, a bald eagle soaring in the sky, doesn't that stir something in your heart as the symbol of our nation? Or the American flag, when you see it waving, we grew up pledging allegiance to the flag in schoolrooms. It, means something, this symbol. It's not just a piece of cloth. But those symbols can also have evil meanings as well. Like, for example, the Nazi swastika. A symbol of evil, if ever there were one in all of history. Because Hitler knew the power of symbols. But so did Jesus. He bequeathed to us these powerful symbols of His sacrifice so that we might never forget what He was willing to do in order to save us. To forgive our sins. So Jesus interpreted the bread as the symbol of His body, beaten, hung on a cross for us. And of the cup, He says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. Imagine, as Jesus says these words, He is mere hours away from crucifixion. 
He was going to be beaten and spat upon and insulted and humiliated for us. He was going to have a crown of thorns thrust down upon his brow. He would be nailed with these great nails through his hands and his feet as he bled out his life on that cross for us. And Jesus says, it's for the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, sin is a serious thing. Sin is serious business. It isn't something to be taken lightly. It cost our Savior His life. That's why Jesus died. To pay the price for our sins. To take upon Himself what we deserved. So that we could be set free from the law of sin and death. So that we could experience the righteousness of God in Him and have eternal life as the gift of God. Sin is a terrible thing and the Lord's Supper helps us to remember. And we need to because in this day and age even the word sin is disappearing from the secular vocabulary. It's no longer fashionable or politically correct. For a long while now Satan has been working to purge the word sin from our vocabulary and our consciousness and he has in large part succeeded. Fifty years ago, the famous psychiatrist Dr. Carl Menninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? And in that book he says, I believe there is sin, which is expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, or deviancy. There is immorality. There is unethical behavior. There is wrongdoing. And he said, I hope to show that there is usefulness in retaining the concept, indeed the word, sin. Jesus didn't retreat from using the word sin, and neither should we. We should call it what it is, because it's what sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross for us. On October the 7th, as you well know, Hamas terrorists stormed over the border into Israel and murdered many hundreds of Israeli civilians, including women and children. And we've heard stories of the brutality and the heartlessness, the, the, the cruelty of what was done there. Have you heard the word sin used even once in the news reports of that event? Terrorism, yes, they call it terrorism, but no one talks about sin. But you call it what you will, it was the darkness of sin in the hearts of those terrorists that led them to murder those innocents in cold blood. Sin, as simple as that. And sin is serious business. The wages of sin is always death. But Jesus went to the cross to die for us that we might not have to die but instead have life in His name. The Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And every time we observe it, we do so in remembrance of His sacrifice for us because of our sins. It is because Jesus died that we can live. His body given for us, His blood shed for us. An old gospel song says, When He was on the cross, we were on His mind. And it's true. 
So it is only fitting that Jesus be on our minds today as we remember what He has done for us. But if He is only on your mind, then you have another step to take. You have to invite Him into your heart. You have to believe by faith that His death was for you. That's what extends forgiveness to you. That's what will bring you from death to life. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Not just so you could be on His mind, but that He could be in your heart. Let's pray together.